We will talk about things going on in our land uh, in the course of going through the text. That's the beauty of Scripture. They speak to issues in our lives and issues in our day. They're very relevant, so uh, we'll try to make some application from the text with regard to our day. We are in First Thessalonians uh, chapter... T- hey, Robin! That's Robin Cook right there. She's a sweetie. A long-term member of this church and then has been in Louisiana with her hubby for a long... We were in the same church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Robin is here for the homegoing service of Janet Alex- uh, Valentine. Janet Valentine, who uh, some of you know, uh, has had a long-time struggle with cancer and went home to be with the Lord. Young woman and uh, a student of the Bible. In fact, she was... I was told pretty instrumental in getting our women's ministry going years ago with Beth Moore Bible Studies. And she has worked closely with our uh, beloved Lori Cole and so on and so forth. And uh, these are mixed emotions, aren't aren't they, Robin? The, The battle is over for her, but it's not so easy to say goodbye to such a close friend. And and she has family, and uh, her homegoing service is Tuesday. Here will be in the hall, uh, no, HRA, Use Road Auditorium, this Tuesday. So we're glad to see you. Wish it was under different circumstances. How's your family? Okay, good to see you. Did you, did you need a passport to get here from Louisiana? You're okay? Across the border? We were in Baton Rouge together uh, during uh, Katrina. Those were interesting days, to say the least. My heavens. Um, also, uh, Mrs. Joanna Taylor, Ms. Taylor, are you here today? I don't, uh, Ms. Taylor is a member of this class and her husband, uh, Willie Ben Taylor passed away. The visitation, uh, will be today from three to five at night day right here on Beamer and his, he was a believer, his home going service is tomorrow at 11 o'clock, same location. Nide Funeral Home, and Brother Rex is officiating. Um, also, some of you, many of you know the Burchams, wonderful family in our church. Donnie Burcham's mother passed away on Friday in Crockett, Texas. She was 91 years old, and it was rough, I'm told, for him to see her deterioration. Uh, and he has a measure of relief now that uh, she's home with the Lord, but also sadness because that's his mama. Uh, and that service uh, for her is also on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday. And uh, it will not be in uh, Crockett. Uh, Brother Chuck, it's somewhere else, starts with a G. Do you know, Maury? Groveton. Okay, in in Groveton. Okay, okay. So, some of our people are having to say goodbye to their, to their loved ones. Anyway, we're glad to see you, Robin. Um, so we're in First Thessalonians today, and uh, okay. Now Billy Ingalls wanted me to do this. Uh, I forgot what you said. Um, yeah. Oh, we're just going to cover all of. Did I get this? All of First Thessalonians today, because Brother Chuck mocked me for covering a measly old one verse, and he had to repeat, he had to go over it, you know. And so we'll just go through all of that 
and therefore he won't be able to mess around with me ever again. Hey, Chuck, Billy Ingalls sent me up. He thought that would be... I messed it up pretty bad, didn't I? Oh, your wife. No, it was not. Uh, on the other hand, I, will, I do want to demonstrate to you my capacity to complete an entire chapter. So that's what we're going to do today, Lord willing. First Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we are. Folks, do you know Christians are on display? People are watching. I love uh, the, th- uh, the phrase our church bases itself on. We're to be living proof of a loving God to a what kind of world? Yeah, see, and it is, it is watching. In many cases, it's not watching with interest. It's wa- watching so as to find grounds with which to condemn us. Why? If you can dismiss the messenger, you can dismiss the message. <laughs> so what's at stake is not our popularity or personality or anything. It's the message we carry. So if the world can find things uh, that are improper in our lives, inconsistent with our message, then the world doesn't have to pay attention to our message. And we have been giving them lots of ammunition. <laughs> what could I tell you? We've been speaking about the transformative power of Christ in us. Uh, but in many cases, the world doesn't see it. Uh, they see us being absolutely saddened, angered, and appalled by decisions the likes of which we uh, just saw emanate from our Supreme Court uh, about the distortion of marriage as God has ordained it. They see us being upset about that, as we ought to be, Uh, but then they see us devalue uh, God's idea of marriage in our own churches with regard to the proliferation of divorcement, even in our own midst. So they see us kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouth. And they see us talk about how Christ can change lives, and yet we seem to be drinking the same stuff, smoking the same stuff, and watching the same stuff everyone else is. So they, they have a hard time seeing how Christ has really made a difference in our lives. Um, they see us have a view on sexuality, and yet many of our uh, fairly... Renowned leaders um, have fallen into um, I- immorality, and so they they wonder. You see, this is not representative of all of us. Well, of course it isn't. I got that, but uh, but that's that's the way it is. We're on display, and so uh, you know. They, so they see these things, you know, and they wonder where where is this difference maker you want us to commit our lives to? Where is this one you? you say has changed your life. You don't look different. So we're giving lots of ammunition for the world. And this happened in Paul's day. Uh, He uh, was under fire. And his critics accused him of improprieties, improper motivation in doing what he was doing, greed, money lust, you know, all the rest. And Paul wrote uh, this entire chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, to defend himself. But not exactly. I really don't think Paul cared much about what people thought about him, except that what they thought about him impinged upon the message he was preaching. Therefore, he makes 
a passionate defense of himself here in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Because if he was denigrated successfully, uh, so too would his message, the gospel message, you see. So here it is, verse 1. You yourselves know, brethren. He's writing to Christians, their brethren, specifically to those who are living at Thessalonica. You yourselves know our coming to you was not in vain. Why did he say that? Well, because he was accused of coming with, as an empty man with empty words. <laughs> uh, his impact in Thessalonica, his critics said, was in vain. He came, he passed through, no differences. And Paul is saying in the lives of people, Paul is saying, Thessalonians, you yourselves know. I didn't come with empty words that had no potency to change. You're Evidence of the fact that this message I preached, the gospel message, had the power to change your lives. You are different. You used to value things others did. You used to have a mindset like everyone else, and you are different now. You used to be darkened in your understanding, and now you have the mind of Christ. If that is emptiness... Uh, then bring on emptiness. No way. Your lives have changed. Folks, we don't exactly like what's going on in our country and in our world. And so we're um, becoming motivated, uh, uh, particularly over the last few days, to think about what we can do. I would like to caution a word of uh, patience so as not to overreact. First of all, this is not all that new. 36 states have already approved uh, same-sex marriage. The Supreme Court added 14 more. Um, Darkness has prevailed long before Friday's decision, not justifying it in any way. It's perhaps the most egregious abuse of judicial power in our nation's history. Legislation from the bench. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. I got all that. I got all that. But it's not like the, ten, the trends and tendencies are all that sudden and new. We've been seeing this happening uh, for, for quite a while. Um, uh, and and <clears throat> Paul's uh, emphasis, even in a day of uh, grotesque, Um, sexual immorality, uh, abortion, infanticide, all the rest, was to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not that he didn't address these issues, but he thought, what can we do about it? And he embraced the strategy of gospel sharing. Because if you're honest, but for God's grace, we would be the same. The gospel and our acceptance of it has moved us from Uh, one domain to another. We've been moved from a domain of darkness, that's what it's called, to the kingdom of the beloved son. And we got saved not only from the penalty of sin, but also from dark thinking. So that now we think differently about abortion, about marriage, about uh, the proper manifestation of our sexual natures, about about debt, uh, about uh, 
healthcare, whatever it is, our minds are informed and enlightened not by inherent virtue, but by a transformation brought about uh, by we receiving the mind of Christ. So, folks, um, we can strike out on any one of the issues of the day, and there are many. And I didn't say we shouldn't. Uh, we should. However, don't let those efforts distract us from the main thing. The main thing is to share the gospel because it's the only change agent that can transform a person's life. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. The gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. Petitions, signs, protests to me are valid and ought to be perhaps engaged and embraced. But please don't be distracted. Our citizenship is not here, and we'd be given weaponry of a different kind. You know and I know we think differently now, not because we read a lot. We think differently now because we've been born anew. Well, can't others be born anew? Last night was the gay pride rally in Houston and every major, most major cities in the United States, huge one in New York and huge one here. Um, especially hot on the heels of the Supreme Court decision, it really gave uh, an enthusiastic response uh, to, the, to the gay pride movement. Uh, and I noticed on the news last night, uh, in response, a reaction to it, uh, behind a barricade, there were some people with signs and odd shirts with some religious logo on it or something, uh, screaming. Some of the signs were uh, pretty abrasive, actually. There's a mingling of scripture in there and all the rest. I'm not invalidating it. You have to do what God leads you to do. But I just wondered if maybe planting themselves in the midst of the crowd and engaging folks in conversation perhaps might have borne more fruit. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm, I'm just telling you signs don't save, protests don't save, petitions don't save. Now, they do other things. They express um, the point of view a part of the po voting population. So please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just saying the real commission with which we've been commissioned is the great commission. And I'm just wondering if maybe uh, implanting ourselves as salt and light in the crowd and engaging people in conversation might have increased the probability that they would hear the gospel, embrace it, be changed by it, and have an entirely different view about sexuality and same gender marriage and, and all the rest. What has changed you? What changed me? I would like to say, even at the risk of, well, I'm not offending you, the Bible says this, and such were some of you. What about us? Before Christ came into our life and changed us. So I'm not saying we ought not be emboldened by what's happening. I'm just saying, um, what should we be emboldened to do? Is it, is it to get angry? Is it to react? Is it to call names? Is it to erect barriers? Is it to separate from those who are still in the domain of darkness? I don't get it. So 
So Paul said here, you people in Thessalonica, I mean, I'm under fire, but your witnesses of the fact that your lives, which were immersed in paganism, Greco-Roman pantheon of gods, you, you had, you know what they did when a baby was born? They'd put the baby between the father's feet and he could adjudicate whether that baby would live or die. Worse than abortion, that's not an enwombed child, that's infanticide. That's a fully birthed child. The father could just say, forget it, abandon the child. Homosexuality was rampant in ancient Greek and Rome. Are you kidding me? It's not a new thing. Don't, I'm not minimizing it. Please, what's new is it's uh, unashamed acceptance today like you and I have never seen before. I got that. But, but, but I'm saying in Paul's day, all these things were there and, and the Thessalonians now were different and they were, they were living different lives. And, and what did it? It was the gospel message which changed their hearts and their lives and their thinking. Folks, that is our fundamental calling and responsibility here to embody the gospel, living consistent with it, and to declare it. If anything, what has happened ought to encourage us to declare it with more boldness because those in darkness are surely boldly declaring lies, corruption, sin and distortion. We ought to be less concerned about being tactful, (laughs) diplomatic, and nice people. We ought to share the gospel. I got so emboldened by what's happening. I had a cousin visiting a few days ago. I hadn't seen him in 40 years, 40 years. He's three years older than me. He came to visit my mother, who's in an assisted living facility here. We were grateful for the visit, glad to host him. And I was just praying, oh, God, give me a chance, give me a chance, give me a chance to talk to him about you. I mean, he's here for a reason. I hadn't seen him in 40 years. Here he is. He's a Jewish guy, really brilliant, sharp, good guy, really likable. And I'm looking for the opportunity, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. And finally, he's sitting in my living room with my wife and I, and uh, enough is enough. He's about ready to go home tomorrow. Stephen. Tell me what you believe about God. Well, it wasn't very smooth, wasn't very tactful, wasn't very anything. Well, said he, I believe we're created in his image. And what does that mean to you? Well, I'm not exactly certain. Well, it means at the least he desires a relationship between us and him. Why else would he have made us in his own image? I guess you're right, said he. Do you have one? Well, I tried to be a good person. That's not what I asked you. Do you have one? Well, I don't know that we can know for sure. Yes, we can. So on we went. Tactful? Smooth? Diplomatic? No. Too bad. Too bad. That guy, that good guy, is on his way to eternal separation from Almighty God. That good guy with liberal points of view who thinks, uh, you know, if two, two people love each other, why, who are we to deny them this, that, and the other thing? I don't think he has any idea what a uh, Pandora's box is now opened. Well, if you, if you can love one person <laughs> and it be of any ilk uh, and it could be recognized as marriage, why can't, why can't you be, it's a new term, polyamorous. Why can't you have many people to whom you're wedded, married? 
Why can't you love yourself? You do. Why can't you just be married to yourself? Who are you to tell me who I can and cannot love? Why can't I marry my dog? I love my dog. It's crazy, isn't it? Watch. Just watch. So, so, so he, he's, you know, accepting and all the rest. And, and I just thought, my goodness, he's getting on a plane back to Colorado. He's been in the presence uh, of a Christian, me. I call myself a Christian. I'm waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Folks, if anything, we ought to be emboldened about fulfilling our calling and destiny. And it is to be ambassadors for Christ. Paul says, you brethren know what the gospel can do, and our coming to you was not in vain. He said in verse 2, after we had already suffered, been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Prior to coming to Thessalonica, he stopped off in Philippi. They did a bunch of stuff there, Paul and his associates, one of which was to meet up with a slave woman who was possessed by demons. Yeah. I believe that there are demons because the same book that told me about the Savior told me about Satan and his demons. So there were demons possessing this woman, and the manifestation was that she could tell people's futures. She was a fortune teller. Uh, Which reminds me, not every supernatural occurrence is from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Bible says, especially in the end times, there will be many signs and wonders leading astray many folks. The fact that there are supernatural occurrences it does not mean that they emanate from the Holy Spirit. You know what you need for that? To determine whether uh, it's from the Holy Spirit? You need discernment, which to me is the most necessary gift uh, that we need today. We've got enough preachers, we've got enough teachers, we've got enough, help, help, enough helpers and all the rest. We need discernment like crazy. So anyway, she's Telling people's futures, pretty dramatic. Paul had enough, casts out the demon, much to the dismay of her owners because it dried up their uh, livelihood. They had a good pure motive, didn't they? They're making money off of this lady. No longer can they. So they grab onto Paul and Silas, drag him into the public forum, marketplace, in front of the magistrates, in front of the government, local government to adjudicate the situation. The local government authorizes that Paul and the boys be flogged, beaten with rods. They are bloodied and brutalized. The government did this. You got some problems with our government? What else is new? The government did this and uh, then threw them in jail. They were in stocks in a jail. Now, how they got out is really great. You should read this when you get a chance. Here's the point. Paul then comes after that to Thessalonica preaching the same message that got them bloodied, brutalized, and imprisoned. He is saying to the Thessalonians, if we were frauds, deceivers, if our heart wasn't in this, if we were not sincere, do you think after experiencing all that we did in Philippi, we'd come to you preaching the same message with boldness? We wouldn't have a fraud gives up the fraud when under fire. A fraud doesn't keep preaching the message when the message gets them in trouble. Paul says, we kept doing it. Why? We have no choice. 
We must not. We cannot stop. We can't water down, dilute. We can't compromise on the gospel message, which is the means by which people can be changed, saved to the uttermost. How could it be that our critics are right about our impure motives when, in fact, after suffering the way we did in Philippi, we came to you to speak to you the gospel of God of God amid much opposition in Thessalonica as they ran into in Philippi. And you see that word opposition? It's the same word from which we get our word agony. Paul said, what? Empty? Fraudulent? Deceiver? Just passing through? What? We went through agony to preach to you with boldness the same message for which we were punished in Philippi. That's what he says. Then he says verse 3. Our exhortation doesn't come from error, impurity, or by way of deceit. As he was That's not the origin of the message. It's of divine origination. If it was erroneous or impure by deceit, once again, you wouldn't have been changed. We wouldn't be persistent in sharing it. We didn't try, Paul is saying, to trap you into belief. We simply told you the truth. Verse 4 just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, you see, folks, we could say the same thing. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that's the great commission. That is the main thing. Whatever else we may do must contribute to gospel sharing. That's the calling right there. Even so, he said, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And this concerned him, not what people thought. But what did God think? God examines our hearts. Folks, I'm not ultimately giving account to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I'm giving account to Almighty God. So are you. So are the five Supreme Court justices who voted as they did. Was it six, brother? Really? So it wasn't 5-4? 6-3? Five, five, six, 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 okay, on the, um, I got you, I got you, I got you. And by the way, uh, the five or the six, say, how could just a few people carry the day? They're not. They're representative of many, many others. Let's not put undue. They caved in, for sure. It wasn't good uh, legislation by no, uh, good, good adjudication of by no means, but they're hearing a clarion call <laughs> in our day. For the, you know, these government leaders are there <laughs> because people want them there. Maybe not these people right here, but uh, you know, people get elected, folks. That's that's sort of how it works. And uh, you know, my my big prayer is uh, that God would not give us the elected officials we deserve. I pray, oh God, please give us the elected officials we don't deserve. Give us good men and women, just by your grace. Please pray that for the next election, by the way. We're in trouble. Pray for the next election, for crying out loud. But anyway, uh, so uh, I have no idea what I was saying. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, this is my point. We all stand. We, we have to show respect for the institutions of government, not for the positions uh, for the, that they come to, but we have to show respect. But... But, uh, but, but, I, but the Supreme Court is not going to adjudicate my eternity. God is going to 
adjudicate. So can you see, more importantly than anything, is helping people to be prepared for the time when they stand, not before the Supreme Court of the United States, but before Almighty God, the creator of all the earth. You know, we stand before his throne. We want people to approach it knowing it's a throne of grace. It's a throne characterized by grace. But if you refuse God's grace, wow, there is no hope. So can you see how that the gospel message is much more important than anything else? And Paul says, verse 5, we didn't come to you with flattering speech. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We didn't come with flattering speech. You know what he's saying? We could have changed the gospel to make it more palatable. You know, uh, the gospel says uh, of Jesus, I am am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul could have said, maybe Jesus is a way. I remember some time ago, one of my relatives said to me, do you mean to tell me our relatives, Jewish relatives who perished during the Holocaust and at other times and who are uh, good, righteous, religious Jews living today who have uh, simply refused to accept this Jesus of yours, do you mean to tell me they are all destined for hell? You know what my answer was? Yes. I almost gagged on my own word. It just sounded so too bad. That message is not of error or deceit. It's of divine origin. It's not up for grabs. It's the gospel for which God has approved us to be carriers. We, we, we don't have editorial rights. We share it. What? Do you mean to tell me that this idea of sin, sin, and sinner, you know, all have sinned? Doesn't the Bible say that? that's so unpalatable? People do good things, do good things. Do you mean to tell me all have sinned? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sin. But you can water down sin and have it more. You know what you could tell people? If you accept Jesus, life will be a bowl of cherries. But you could tell them. Do not tell them about persecution for Christ. Don't tell them that your options are severely cut down. You can't do sex the way you used to do it. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them, you know, the kinds of movies they used to go to. No, that's off limits. Don't tell them. Uh, getting drunk is, you know, party time. Don't tell them, eh, sorry, you can't do that anymore either. You, don't tell them, stop it. Just tell them, sell them this. You'll be healthy and wealthy. I don't make it more palatable. But it's not true. The gospel says God created us true in his own image to have relationship with him. We interfered. We severed the relationship through our sin, not our mistakes. Every person of notoriety who confesses publicly to some indiscretion calls it a I made a mistake. You don't have to confess a mistake. Nobody's holding you responsible for a mistake. That's why the euphemism mistake is used today. You sinned. That means deliberate rebellion against holy God. That's what you confess. Sin separates And Jesus came to reconcile sinful people with holy God. He's son of God on the divine side. He's son of man on the human side. Only he can be a mediator. He can take our hand and join it to the hand of the Father. And he affected it all through the cross on which he died. 
I don't have a right to compromise one. Do you mean to tell me one billion Muslims are going to hell because they don't accept Jesus? Yeah. Can you see how serious this? What about good people? Do you mean to to tell me good people? No. Uh, No good people are going to hell. Did you know that? Produce one for me. Show me a good people. Show me one good person. I mean, but so-and-so is moral and ethical and so on and so forth. But you don't understand the, the standards of goodness that God has. It's not just a matter of doing good things once in a while. It's being good by nature in thought, word, and deed. Please produce for me one good person. And I'll show you, yeah, that person is going to heaven. Even under the scrutiny of ten commandments, and there are many more, even under the scrutiny of ten, show me one who gets a passing grade. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I never did that. Okay, cool. Thou shalt not steal. Well, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Thou shalt not lie. I'm not a liar. Okay, cool. Good for you. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet. Whoa. See, that's not an overt behavior. That's a sin of the heart. That's to have a a, a desire for things that cannot righteously be yours. Do you ever look on a woman and lust for her? Don't raise your hands, every guy in this room. (laughs) See, that's the 10th commandment. And that's for prideful people who think nine for nine, I'm coasting in. The 10th one will kill you. That reveals our heart. You see, so, so you can warn. Paul said, I didn't do this. I didn't come with flattery words or anything. I, I was not in a people-pleasing contest for crying out loud. I spoke the truth. God is witness. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either you or from you or others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. My heavens, Paul says. We could have been authoritative and dictatorial as perhaps we've been accused of. We are apostles of Christ Jesus, but we didn't do that because we knew you Thessalonians are babes in Christ and you have to grow. And therefore, we treated you with the tenderness of a nursing mother. That's what he said. Brilliant. Having so fond, verse 8, an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So uh, they received no income from the Thessalonians. They worked for their upkeep. They made tents or worked in leather. So they did, night and day. So by day they preached the gospel, maybe by night they were working on leather goods or vice versa. They did this all. Why? To remove any insinuation that they were trying to profit from the Thessalonians. Now they had a right to be supported by them. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, the laborer is worthy of his wages. The Bible says elsewhere from those whom you receive spiritually, uh, return materially. That's what it says. So what's Paul saying? Is he saying, no, this is the principle. No minister should be uh, supported financially by the people to whom he or she ministers. That's not what he's saying at all. I'm doing this in defense of my own salary. (laughs) 
Uh, this is not set up as a normative thing. Paul said, we chose not to require that you support us because you couldn't handle it. You didn't see the appropriateness of it. And we could easily have been accused of profiteering because at this time in Greco-Roman culture, the people were inundated by uh, itinerant philosophers and so-called religious people who were coming, passing through, saying what people wanted to hear and extracting money from them. And so Paul, in order to separate himself from that crowd, they just decided they're not going to receive any money. They'll just earn their own living. That's what kind of what he was saying here. So on the contrary, people are saying we are sharing the gospel as a pretext, a covering for greed. What greed? We didn't receive anything from you, Paul says. You're witnesses, verse 10. So is God. How devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behaved toward you. You are witnesses. Wouldn't it be great if every one of us could say that? You are witnesses. Folks in the neighborhood, you are witnesses. Uh, fellow employees, you are witnesses. Classmates, you are witnesses of our lifestyle and how it was consistent with the gospel message we preach. You are witnesses that we lived by integrity. We didn't have a church life that was entirely different from our other six days of the week life. <laughs> you saw no lack of integrity. Would you be able to say that? Would I? You are witnesses. Would you be able to call upon those we come in contact with as, uh, to give testimony to the integrity, holiness, blamelessness of your lifestyle? If we as Christians did better this way, maybe the world would not be passing us by. We are conveniently finding the them out there to be the enemies. <laughs> I think the problem was with those of us in here, in the church, I mean. I think, I think if the salt loses its savor, of what good is it? You say salt is a preservative. The buck stopped here. The buck stopped here. You let the world take you. That's, you know, Satan is the god of this world. Cool. The buck stops here. So, so Paul said, you're witnesses. How did we live? How did we live? Was there any inconsistency? Just as you know, verse 11, how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would, his own children. So in verse 7, he used the image of a nursing mother and now here of a faithful father. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Look what Paul said. He said, Thessalonians, this is true of you. You've already been called into the kingdom and glory of God. Therefore, live up to it. Walk in a way worthy. See what he's saying? He's not saying walk. He's not saying live a certain lifestyle so you can earn God's favor. Oh, no, 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 no. He's saying because you already have God's favor. Walk in a way consistent with it. Since you've already been called into God's kingdom and glory, therefore, live in a way that is worthy of it. Folks, if the church of Jesus Christ lived in a way that is worthy of our inclusion in the kingdom and glory of God, the world would take note. We are not walking in a way that's worthy of it. We are falling short of what's already true of us. We are simply not realizing whose we are. If we realize that, you are a holy nation, a chosen people, a people for God's own possession. If we realize that, we'd be effective salt and light. 
The key to evangelism are not protests, signs, burning down buildings and shooting abortionists, whatever crazy people do. The key to effective evangelism is walk in a way worthy of the fact that we've already been evangelized. Walk in a way worthy. The emphasis of church growth in the last few years has been to fit in, to make it easier for people to identify with us. We have succeeded. (laughs) We have so fit in, we are indistinguishable from the crowd out there. We drink the same drinks. We smoke the same smokes. We wear the same stupid clothes. We listen to the same ridiculous music. We go to the same denigrating, impure movies. We have fit in all right to such an extent. We have undermined the Great Commission. Paul stood out, not as an offensive person, but with the offense of the cross. It's offensive to some. It's life-changing for those who will believe. If anything should be our reaction to what's happening in our day. It is. Verse 12. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the God who's already called us into his kingdom and glory. For this reason, verse 13, we we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul preached the word of God. They received it that way. Not everyone does. Have you ever shared truth, the gospel message, and had someone say, well, that's your opinion, or as long as that makes you happy? You, you have easily dismissed. But Paul rejoiced because the Thessalonians didn't do it that way. They, when they heard Paul's message, they received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And Paul is saying, criticize me all you want, you outsiders. But Thessalonians, the message I preached changed your lives. It was the word of God and your witnesses to it. That's essentially what he said. And not only that, they suffered for it. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. What's up with that? Uh, Paul is saying, Thessalonians, don't miss. One of the evidences of the fact that the gospel message is true and that our labors are not in vain is that you have changed. The word of God, which you accepted, is still performing its work in you. And another evidence of the fact that you're different now is that you're suffering for your identification with Christ. We should not ask for suffering. That's a crazy person who does that. But we should not see it as a sign of the abandonment of God if and when it comes. To be persecuted for Christ and to be suffered (laughs) is a, a very sure indication that Christ is in us. What is happening to our family members throughout the world, perhaps in a more extensive way than ever before, really validates their identification with Christ. How about ours? The Bible says all those, all, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be happy. No, it says we'll be persecuted. We'll be persecuted. That, did you know that is a promise? 
I, I, I don't usually hear it preached in many churches. It's not exactly one that will bring in a lot of members. But it's a promise. All those who desire, do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, you will be persecuted. That's the promise. That's what it says. You know what Paul said to the Thessalonians? That's a sign of the fact that you're in the family. Because your elder brethren in Judea, that's where the church started, in Jerusalem, Judea. They are being persecuted by their people, the Jews, just as you are being persecuted in Thessalonica by yours, the Gentiles. See what he's saying? He's saying, so rather than invalidating our ministry amongst you, my heavens, uh, there's verification of it. Just as they're suffering in other places, you're suffering here. We're all together in this. Uh, The Bible says, uh, Jesus says, they hated me. Why shouldn't they hate you? I'm not saying we should expect that from everyone, but we shouldn't be so surprised when we get it from some. Why not? Look how our Savior was treated. So, uh, verse 15, and now uh, Paul is referring to the Jews in verse 15. Who, the Jews, both killed, he's referring to the Jews, both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. So be careful. On the basis of verses like this, the Nazis justified what they did to my people. Outside of certain concentration camps, there would be a sign. You killed our God. Now we kill you. On the basis of a misinterpretation of verses just like this, who killed the Lord Jesus? This is not an indictment on the entire race of people called Jews. It's an indictment on their religious leaders. And you see that all through scripture. Not only is God not indicting and rejecting uh, the whole people group of Jews, he says, all day long I stretch out my hand to you. He says, all day, all Israel one day will be saved. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, you are the apple of my eye. So be careful. It's the Jewish religious leaders who are leading the sheep astray. And Paul is right. My heavens. They are building up for them. Look what it says, verse 16. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. With the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Governmental. And religious leaders have a price to pay for hindering the going forth of the gospel. Governmental and religious leaders have a price to pay for hindering, obstructing the proclamation of the gospel. I want to show you something. If you begin in verse 14 and read all the way through most of verse 16 in the Greek you have one sentence, no commas, semicolons, periods. It's as if Paul had taken a deep breath in verse 14 and just expelled all this stuff until he gasped for air at verse 16 and had to come up for air again. When that happens in the Greek text, it's usually at a time of impassioned emotion. Paul is no longer at this point the... uh, reserved, uh, under-control theologian. He's exploding emotionally. Why? 
Because he knew the only hope for an individual, the only hope for a nation is the gospel. And if a religious entity or a governmental entity hinders the only hope of salvation, there is no hope, you see. And so he explodes here, explodes here. Look, do whatever you think it's necessary to express what you think is right. Protests, petitions, uh, boycotts. Please, please don't accuse me of denigrating. I'm not. I'm just saying they, in a subtle way, can distract us from the main thing. The main thing ought to be, we ought to be filled with the same passion when any gospel sharing is hindered or obstructed. Are we seeing any of this in our country? Are you kidding me? A young Marine puts a Bible verse on her computer screen which says no weapon formed against me will prosper and she's drummed out of the service court-martialed because she refused to take it down. Oh yeah, that's when a nation is incurring the whole nation? No, no, no. It's Supreme Court, it's governmental authorities, and it's religious authority. Do you know there are whole mainline religions who are jumping on the gay marriage bandwagon and all the rest, just rejoicing. Everyone's having a celebration. Let's all hold hands, get along. Why can't we love each other, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, Jesus is one way and Mohammed's another way and, you know, whatever. Just eating a vegetarian diet's another way, I mean, whatever. Nuts of stuff, people are coming, coming up. So, 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 so what God is angry with are duly appointed governmental entities and religious groups that obstruct and hinder gospel sharing. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 17, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Why does he say that? Because his critics said, look at this guy. He just passed through Thessalonica, took their money, and split. That's what they were saying. He just deserted them. He got what he wanted. He filled his po- pockets, and then he's gone. Paul said, that's not true. We have been taken away from you for a short while. And, and you see that uh, phrase, um, to be taken away? It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It means to be orphaned. <laughs> He said, not only did we not desert you, we had become so close as family members, our hearts given over to yours and yours to us, that being separated from you makes us feel like orphans. That's what he said. In fact, he says, verse 18, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. How? We're not told. But we're told this, Satan will do everything he can to keep Christians from doing what Christians are supposed to do, share the gospel. (laughs) He'll do everything. Somehow he hindered Paul from coming back to the Thessalonians. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming for you are our glory and joy? And so Paul says, you know something? I cannot assure you that I'll be able to come back to you, but I can assure you Jesus is. So now he... He holds up to them again the second coming of Christ. He, he, he extracts, he brings the future into the present, and he says, let the future weigh on your present. He says, how are you to live in light of the second coming of Christ? Live with hope, live with boldness, do what you're supposed to do. Walk worthy of the God who called you into his kingdom, share the gospel no matter what the cost. Don't compromise, don't flatter people. 
Don't worry about winning friends and influencing people. Win converts to, to, to the faith. Go around the world and do that kind of thing. Why, Paul says, because one day I'm going to present you, be able to stand with you in the presence of the Lord Jesus. You are our glory and joy. Ah, not stock market portfolio and not Oscar awards or whatever is going on, not whatever. People, people who we've influenced for the cause of Christ. Paul says, you are our glory and joy. Folks, how does the second coming of Christ affect the way you and I live today? How should it? A good question for you to reflect on over lunch today. How does this sure, inevitable, certain, perhaps soon, I don't know, return of Christ, how should it affect our lives today? Let it affect our lives more than the Supreme Court decision on Friday. I'll tell you what that does. It's making us angry, embittered, ugly. Get over it now. And remember, God, you'll deal with it. You're on the way. Second, I don't have to beat up on these people. Dad, you take care of it. You're coming. Oh, God, you saved me from your wrath by grace. Save others. But those who refuse your grace, oh, God, let them experience the full outpouring of your wrath. It'll happen. And so, now that I know you're going to take care of business, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to walk in a way worthy of the God who called me into his kingdom. I'm supposed to live an attractive life. I'm supposed to live a life with integrity. I'm supposed to live a life distinct from the crowd. I'm called out. I'm to be holy as God is holy. I'm to be approachable but not aim to fit in. I'm to be uncompromising in sharing the gospel even if it offends, but I am to try not to be an offensive person. That's what I'm supposed to do. I got plenty to do. I already got a bunch of emails from people. Stuart, what is our church going to do? What do you mean? How about what we're supposed to do? What do you, what's changed? What's cha- and if we have been doing what we had been doing, we might not be where we are today. Uh, the, 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 the enemies are not out there. I mean, look in the mirror. We've undermined the cause. Admit it. We have undermined the cause. Stop doing it. <laughs> I say to myself, let's walk in a way in a manner worthy of the God who called us. Yes, sir. I Yes. Yes. Yes, for sure. Well, let me just challenge something. You said, uh, not only have you not reached one of them, you have reached everyone with whom you have shared truth. You, you, you see, the person's response to truth is not my responsibility. The communication of truth, which you did, and I just respect you for doing that. Tough crowd. No more tough than the Philippians or the Thessalonians. And the, Lord, the crowd the Lord Jesus came to were so tough, last time I checked, they pierced him through. You know, he didn't get good results. 
<clears throat> numerically. It's irrelevant. It's the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, if they don't believe, the same gospel that can soften a heart can harden a heart. That's not my business. My business is to share it. You did a great job. You were a missionary to an extremely tough, unreached people group. The gay community is an unreached people group. Exactly right. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Keep up the good work. Challenge, for sure. And for your daughter, for sure. For sure. Well, folks, we should end right here because our time is up. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get together, not next week in here, but hopefully, Lord willing, in there for two services. And this is important, really, really important. This Wednesday night for us is our July 4th celebration on July 1st. And so at, uh, we will not be meeting in the worship center. We've got a better idea. We're going to be meeting outside uh, for baptism at, uh, talk about baptism. During this hour, if they came, three Iranian Muslim people led to the Lord, were baptized, and one uh, older Jewish man born in Israel, raised here, was baptized. Listen, Muslim people, Jewish people, I want to tell you something. Adversaries, perhaps having nothing to do with one another, now find themselves in the same family. Can you see what I mean about the gospel? The United Nations can't do stuff like, well, Never mind. It's the gospel that can bring uh, hitherto uh, previously warring groups together. We, you saw it, right? Well, you didn't because you were in here. Sorry about that. But I think it just took place here in this service. But anyway, so, so this uh, Wednesday night, baptism, 7 o'clock at our normal location outside, right at the cross. And then uh, later in the evening, we're having Denver and the Mile High Band from Denver with great music, which we believe will, which will be palatable to all age groups. And then fireworks, when it gets dark, fireworks. And all the time, there will be these food, uh, what do they call them, trucks? Food trucks? They're like waffles and hot dogs and who knows what. Uh, you know, gefilte fish, whatever you want. No, no, we don't have that one. Anyway, they're here, and uh, we want people to use them so that they make money and come back. You know what I mean? So, so we want them to see, hey, those Sagemont people got good appetites. And, then, <laughs> and that was, also, we're having these bouncy things for kids. You bounce. And Brother Chuck saw to it that we're having special bouncy things that are water slides. So if you've got little kids, children, grandchildren, uh, come equipped for them to get wet. So, you know, like bathing suits or shorts or something like that, water slides. And that's going to take place. So this is going to be like a big, fun time. You bring your chairs or a blanket, anything you want, come spend the evening. We'll have quite a good uh, celebration. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for giving us not just the bare necessities, but bonuses like what we'll experience this Wednesday night. It's a bonus. Thank you, oh God, for giving us everything we need to be and do everything you want us to be and do. And that is to be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to do better at it with more boldness than ever before. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Hope to see you Wednesday night.